Brothers and sisters, look up and hear the good news. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. One of these many blessings is his redeeming grace and forgiveness. He promises to forgive. We are sons of God through Jesus Christ, and today, again, he cleanses every sin so that we are good sons, welcome in his presence to hear his word, to eat at his table, and to proclaim his goodness. Believe this today and rejoice. If you would, now we're going to hear from God's word. And we'll begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to encourage him. But Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house with which I am at war, and God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me, that he may not destroy you. However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to make war on the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in the second chariot which he had, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died and was buried in the tomb of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah, and all the male and female singers speak about Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And they made them in an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are also written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his deeds of devotion as written, as written in the law of the Lord and his acts first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then all the people of the land took Joahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in place of his father in Jerusalem. And Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Then the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem and imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and one talent of gold. And the king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and brought him to Egypt. We'll now look to Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig, brand, fig, fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. 
Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. If you would join me now in reading together on the back of the bulletin from Psalm 89. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, and for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, He suffered and was buried. The third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in one Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped 
and is glorified and worshipped. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, that is, universal and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. This is the faith of the McKinney Bible Church. One would be hard-pressed to say, I'm confident I'll be with the Lord after my death if he doesn't believe this statement, the truths of this statement. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we now come as your people. We draw near to hold fast the confession without wavering, for you are faithful and you've promised. So as we look into your word and you, you speak to us by your spirit, we pray that you would conform us to the image of your dear son. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The uh, Hebrew Bible, meaning the Old Testament, ends with the book of Chronicles. Uh, we divide it into two. It is one book. And uh, at the very end of Second Chronicles, we get the final statement before the New Testament. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we read these words. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah, Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom, and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may Yahweh, his God, be with him and let him go up. Thus ends the Old Testament. Well, we know that uh, Chronicles is moving towards deportation. That's how the book ends, in exile. It's a sad event, and uh, our study of Josiah today will, uh, well, it should make us grieve as it made Jeremiah weep and as it made the people mourn. I like to 
watch the news. Well, I mean, you all get excited if I say watch when you can't see, but that's just the way you talk, and you've got to get past that kind of stuff. I like to watch the news, and uh, I lay on the couch and watch it, and it's my best sleep ever. <laughs> I get about five minutes in, and I'm gone. Well, I was watching the news, I believe it was Friday, maybe Thursday, and I was quite disturbed. Two things disturbed me. One was the lead story about the O-pill. I think that's what it's called. In January 2024, in your drugstore, your grocery store, and in whatever store, the O-pill, which prevents pregnancy, will be sold and no parents can ask any questions. Anyone can walk in and buy it. It doesn't matter if you're 12, 13, 14, or 40. It is our culture's defiance towards God. And, of course, it's lauded as the greatest next thing to abortion for women's reproductive rights. Well, I have to say, women don't have reproductive rights. God holds the rights, and he tells us what to do, and we don't want what he tells us to do, and we are just sliding down. The first toilet was called a crapper, the crapper hole. The second thing I saw was an ad for retiring. It wasn't an ad. It was, it was like an ad, but it was on the news for retiring people. And it was to how to get a hold of your money to prepare for retirement so that you can, uh, well, you don't really need to own a house in the United States. That's too costly. If you get it just right, you can just fly around the world all year long and stay in places that are affordable and do the things you want to do and just have the greatest retirement. Now you can see why the United States is particularly awful. We think life is just supposed to be one big happy party all the time. But, of course, we have a vocation. And the vocation is to build the kingdom. And we use our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and our money to do it. Well, that's what Chronicles is kind of about. God's kingdom. With a covenant made with David to supply a son of God on the throne forever. And when Solomon was appointed as king, he was the son of God. And when Rehoboam was appointed as king, he was the son of God. And when the wicked kings like Ahaz were appointed as king, he was the son of God. 
And all the kings, of course, are measured against David, who is the shepherd boy. And throughout the Old Testament, then, a king is a shepherd. And when you come to the New Testament, Jesus speaks exactly the same way. He looked at the people and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. He's called the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd. But, of course, that's just one symbol of God and his people. And it's a symbol that's employed in Chronicles. There are other symbols that are also employed in Chronicles, and those symbols uh, relate to marriage. So marriage is a picture of God's relationship with his people. And the king just in a covenant envelops himself around all his people and they come to God as God's wife. It's a sad thing, but it happens a lot. It's happened here at McKinney Bible Church. Happens at every church, I suppose. You see a young couple get married and they're, you know, they're so in love. We've seen it at this church so many times that we started combining last names, our first names, to describe, they just are together all the time. Remember, Tim and Emily? Timily, we called them. But even in Christian marriages, well, let me just take a fake one, okay? Fake marriage. Suppose a guy and a girl get married, and uh, like me, I wasn't done with seminary. And so my wife worked for three years, no, five years, to get me through seminary. That happens in a lot of marriages. I don't think it's wrong. It's probably not the best situation, but it's not wrong. And then what you hear one day after a, a wife has worked her fool head off, not that she's foolish, and has put off childbearing and put her husband through medical school, he comes home and says, honey, I don't think I love you anymore. And she says, what? After all I've done for you? That's Josiah. Turn, if you would, to 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Second Chronicles chapter 35, and look at verse 20. And here's what it says. After all this. And it means just what it says. After all what? Well, the whole story of Josiah's life, which is quite a stellar life. He is one who doesn't turn to the right or to the left. He sought God with his heart and his soul. He kept the covenant. He was like King David. And when you look it up in Kings, 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25, there was no one like Josiah 
who served the Yahweh God with all his heart, with all of his mind, and all of his soul. There was no one before him, nor was there anyone after him. That's Josiah. You come down to the end of the book of Chronicles, and you get the number one king, Josiah. And Josiah comes from two words that are combined together. And one word is Yahweh, and the other word is buttress. Yahweh's buttress. Or, you turn that around, you say, Yahweh supports. Yahweh was the supporter of Josiah. He was what he was because of Yahweh. Sometimes we think that when you come down to the New Testament and you get the gift of the Spirit, well, those poor people in the Old Testament, they never had the Spirit. That is impossible. It is not true. To be regenerated, the Spirit has to do a work in you. The Spirit comes as a promise of the new covenant, but it comes, He comes in a special way to do special things that weren't being done in the Old Testament, but the one thing the Spirit was doing in the Old Testament was supporting people and giving them a heart for the law and God's word. That was being done. And that was Josiah. So Josiah, as we know, he became king when he was eight years old. And when he was 16, he began to seek Yahweh God with all his heart and soul and when he was 12, he began purging the land. I mean, 12 years of reigning, he began purging the land. And then in the 18th year of reigning, he began to take care of the temple. The temple's God's house. And sometimes I'm not sure that we understand the grand significance of that house because you have this whole earth and you can turn to... Psalms like Psalm 98, 99, 97. Yahweh reigns. He's enthroned above the cherubim. So you have heaven up there, and you can look at the stars and all that, but you, you can't see God. But you can go up to Jerusalem after Solomon builds the temple, and you can see this grand, beautiful structure which in every detail speaks of something. It's not haphazard. It's God's work. He's the best architect ever. He's the best decorator ever. Everything he does has purpose. Nothing is meaningless. And you can just step back and you can gaze at what you can see and begin to contemplate it. And then there's those two pillars we talked about Jochen and Boaz standing outside to give you a little glimpse of the inside. But you know, you know, inside, you go through one room that's got a table and an altar of incense and a candelabra, and you go through that other curtain, and you're in the Holy of Holies where there's no light. It's dark as can be in there. And in that room, there is the Ark of the Covenant with two cherubim attached to the covering over the Ark with their wings outstretched. And there are two other cherubim that are added in the temple, and their wings go from one side 
to the other side and they touch in the middle and there are these wings over this Ark of the Covenant with its keferet, its covering made of pure gold. And above these wings, that's where God is enthroned. That's where his name is. And he chose one place on the earth to do this. Even though he's omnipresent, he chose one place to put this temple and to be enthroned. And all the earth is to look into that one place. Israel, they were missionaries. They did go out, like Jonah to Nineveh and so forth. It's not like they didn't go out and share about their God. They did do that. But their main purpose was to have this country with this city, with this temple, with this God who lives there. He's the God of Israel. You go over to another country, they got their own God. They don't have the God of Israel. They have some wimpy God that can't hear or talk or see. And you read the Psalms, and they should bring you to your feet. God reigns enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth tremble. God's there. Let the earth shake. And so God has this people, just like he has a people now. We tend to use the word church now because the New Testament uses the word church, but the New Testament also uses the word Israel. We are the Israel of God. And right now, as we're looking at Chronicles, that is our history, the Israel of God. Josiah. And so you, you look in the Old Testament and you, you, got a, you, know, you got this territory and then this city and then right in this city you have the temple and there's God's house. And all the world is looking in at this house. And these people that belong to God and how they do things. Well, there's not a center like that on earth now. That center has been moved to heaven. And it's called the Jerusalem above, the Zion, the city of God. What was on earth was just a symbol, a type, a picture. The real thing is up there. It was just a copy. And so... We can't see up there. So we still, we still look at what the Bible has to say about this, and we realize, okay, this is what God's people are supposed to be, and what he did is he put a king in charge of them. And this is... I'm going to use the word covenant theology. I don't mean it like you might think I mean it. I mean that a king like Josiah made a covenant before God and he made everyone stand in with him before God like a husband and wife united together. And then there's God right there when the husband and wife come together and God says, man and wife. So Josiah with all these people are together as one in covenant with God. And what Josiah has done, he has... 
He's, he's done incredible. He's taken out idolatry, not only from Judah's territory, but from Israel's territory. He's cleaned the place up. And we won't go through that again, but he's done all of that. And in uh, fixing up the house, as you know, he, I should say, the high priest, Hilkiah, found the law. Whether it's Deuteronomy or the first five books of Moses, well, nobody can prove. Sometimes it looks one way, sometimes it looks the other way. And when he read that book, he trembled. Who does God pay attention to? A person that's humble and contrite of heart and trembles at my word. Because when you open the book, you may read casually, but God's talking seriously. He saw what it said, and he knew both he and the people were in trouble. And he tore his clothes as an expression of humility and knowing that he's laid bare before God. And he sent and he got word from Huldah the prophetess. And she told him this. God's wrath is going to come upon this people. And it's not going to be quenched. But Josiah, because you humbled yourself, and you wept, and you tore your clothes, you are going to go to your grave in peace, and you will not see the coming of God's wrath. Well, Josiah dies 13 years after he hears that word of prophecy. And after Josiah dies become there are going to be four more kings they're all related to josiah josiah's sons and every last one of them is going to go away and not be buried in judah they're going to go away in captivity and when he died the first son that was placed on the throne by the people was jehoahaz and jehoahaz reigned three months and he was wicked, and the king of Egypt came in and deposed him and set a levy on the land of 100 shekel, uh, uh, talents of silver and one talent of gold. And he put his brother as king, and he took Jehoahaz away. He left. That is the point of what we're going to read here. When Josiah does what he does, the grace period comes to an end. And now Israel is irrevocably bound up to go away. And it's done in four stages. It takes a total of 22 and a half years. Two kings reign for 11 years. Two kings reign for three months. 22 and a half years. And the people are dispersed off to Babylon. The temple is torn down and burned up. All the good stuff is taken off to Babylon and put in Babylon's God's house. 
So Josiah is, uh, is a good guy, and yet there's this huge problem that transpires. And so Josiah, uh, well, there's all these accolades. He had a, a uh, Passover that was unparalleled. Right, thir chapter 13, I mean 35, verses 1 through 9, unparalleled. Didn't happen the days of the judges, according to King, not like this. Didn't happen from Samuel, from any other king. Hezekiah had a pretty good Passover, but not like this Passover. And people argue about, you know, how that can be so, because Hezekiah's Passover was a great Passover. But you see, we talked about this. Josiah implemented some changes which made it different. Plus, Josiah's Passover was built on this sweeping, purging reform of the people. And Josiah's Passover was built on the fact that he made covenant with them, with God. And as long as Josiah lived, all these people in Judah, where the temple was, and in Israel, where they've already been dispersed, a good majority of them off to Assyria, all these people, a reformation over a whole country lasts for 13 years. Can you imagine that in America? It'd be something, wouldn't it, if all of a sudden all these wicked, terrible things that are happening just got swept away, turned around in a year, and this country began to serve the Lord, and we served it as long as Biden's alive. You're supposed to laugh at that, because <laughs> that wouldn't be very long. <laughs> So, Nico, the king of Egypt, comes to Carchemish to wage war. And what was going on, we document this, we know this by history, not, not, not just in the Bible, we know it by history, that uh, Nico was allied with Assyria against Babylon, and Babylon was coming. And in 609, excuse me, 604, Babylon became the premier empire. So Nico's coming to wage war because there's going to be a battle between Assyria and Babylon. He's on Assyria's side. And so Josiah comes up to wage war also. But he's not on Assyria's side or Egypt's side. He's on Babylon's side. And of course, his great-great-grandfather is the one who showed all the goods of the house to Babylon. Oh, you're my buddy. It turns out Babylon's the one that's going to be lord over them. So he, he goes to fight, and this is what Nico says. Hey, I don't, I don't, there's nothing between you and me. I'm going to war against the house. What's the house? Well, you have to remember the way people thought. Our times, we think no God. Their times, they thought all kinds of gods. And when you go try to take a country over, you're taking the house. 
because it's that God that protects that country, and you beat that country, that God is a nothing God. He's going to take the house. And he says, and by the way, God appointed me to do this, showed to me to do this, and to hurry, so don't interfere with God. Okay? So far, so good. We don't know what he's talking about, about God so far. But then we're told that Josiah would not listen to the words of Nico that came from God. So what did Josiah do? He's, he's, he's not going to trust God. He is going to engage in the battle to make sure that Babylon wins. And so he becomes another Ahab. He disguises himself so that he can go into battle and, uh, and, and uh, Nico won't know it. But just like Ahab who disguised himself, somebody draws an arrow with a bow and shoots him and he dies. Now, should Josiah have known that that was a word from God? Well, you can see, we just read it when you come to the end of Jeremiah. There's a word that Cyrus says. It's a word from God. This is what he said. The, Yahweh, the God of heaven, appointed me to do this, to build a house for him. So, go. Well, when you come to Isaiah chapter 45 and Isaiah chapter 44, Cyrus is called a shepherd. He's, he's going to be the new shepherd of Israel. Well, first they live in Babylon, and then Cyrus delivers, I mean, beats Babylon up and takes over, and now he's the new shepherd, and God sends him a message. I don't know how God did it. I don't know if God talked to him audibly, if a prophet went over there. We're not told that part, but we know Cyrus knew. This is from not the gods I know. No, not those gods. This is Nebuchadnezzar kind of language. This is not from a God who is, you know, moving around on the air. This is from the God of heaven. This is the top God. This is Yahweh, God. He appointed me to build him a house. So, any of you who are his people, may Yahweh be with you and go up. And so the Old Testament ends with hope. Now, should Josiah have known that this was God talking to him? Well, lots of people talk casually. God told me, you know, and, and they don't mean, well, I heard a voice or anything like that. They're just saying, hey, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is from God. Maybe they were reading their Bible and this thought came along. And Well, God told me. That, that happens all the time. People talk that way. Some people, uh, you know, they get visions and they hear God talking. And some of the people who get visions and hear God talking are a brick shy of a load. But not everybody. And, you know, having been in McKinney and 
worked with a lot of people. Now, I've heard all kinds of things from people who walk into my office. A lady walked in one day, and she said, well, I need to talk to you. Why do you need to talk to me? Well, because I saw Jesus. Oh, okay. Where'd you see him? Well, he was standing at the end of my bed, and he was green. And at that point, I thought, mm. should Nico have known this was God talking? And the answer is yes. Now, here's how, and here's the problem involved in it. Holda said, you're not going to see uh, all this wrath come upon Judah. You're going to go to your grave in peace. Well, so people say, well, you know, it doesn't look like that really happened. Oh, well, I, I know what happened. Here's how it happened. He was in uh, Megiddo, and he got shot, and he got in another chariot, and he rode home, and then he got home, and he died in peace. Now, I call that mm, voodoo exegesis. No, he didn't die in peace. He went to a battle he wasn't supposed to, and he got shot. So when you take God's promises, or you listen to a prophet, and they say this or that, and, and you say, well, this is true. The prophet said it. It's true. It comes from God. Well, then you've got to trust it. Josiah didn't trust it. So what happens? Some people say, well, promises are unconditional. That is not true. Lots of promises in the Bible are very conditional. And so, Josiah did not do what God told him to do, stay home. And if you look through Chronicles, we don't have time to do this, but if you look through Chronicles, every time one of the kings in Jerusalem goes out, nothing but trouble comes unless first God says, go out. So you take Rehoboam. He went down to, where was it? I don't remember. And he met with the people down there. And uh, his 12 tribes got taken away by Jeroboam. Who was he? He was a man who came up from Egypt. Well, when you have a Passover, you're supposed to go free. No, what happened to Rehoboam? He lost people into slavery. And then God was unhappy with him, so he brought Shishak against him. 60,000 men, 1,200 chariots, and innumerable other men from other countries. And Rehoboam humbled himself, and so God said, okay, I'm not going to do this thing to him, but I'm going to put him under the hegemony of Egypt so he will learn a lesson. That's Egypt in Chronicles until you get down to Josiah. Now Egypt pops up again. Egypt pops up with Necho. And God said to him through Huldah, hey, my fierce wrath is not going to turn aside. It's not going to be quenched. But because, Josiah, you tore your clothes, you wept, I'm going to withhold it. 
so that you will die in peace. Now, if God says to you, you're going to die in peace, you don't expect to be going to war, do you? Of course not. So, right away, he should have known, I don't belong at war. I'm 39 years old, and uh, statistics say I'll live till 75. I got a lot of time left. And look, God has said he'll hold all this off, and I'll die in peace. Yeah, he knew this is from God. And he defied God. So God took his life. Was he a great king? Well, that's what it says in the book of Kings, and that's what it says in Chronicles. There's nobody better than Josiah. But that reminds us of something, doesn't it? It reminds us, however practically righteous we are, we can fall off the log just like that. And so, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, hey, look, the children of Israel were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all same, drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from that rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with many of them, he was not happy, and he laid them low in the wilderness. Friends, when Israel came out in Exodus chapter 14, and they saw what God did. They believed Moses, and they believed God. That's what it says. Well, we get a glimpse of what that is in Jesus' parable of the soils, don't we? The seed is the word of God. Well, in the Gospels, the word of God is the gospel of the kingdom. The seed's the word of God, and he comes along, and he shakes it out, and it falls on the pathway, you know, it's not going to go down into the soil and sprout up and the birds come and eat it up. And uh, Jesus' interpretation of that is, you know, the birds eat it up so that they will not believe and be saved. Then here comes some sowing and it's on rocky soil. So there's, you know, quickly roots can get in the soil, but they can't shoot down and then the sun rises and it gets hot and it says they believe for a while and in time of temptation they fall away then there's the seed that falls in the thorn and it, again it sprouts it sprouts we're reminded that in the church the universal church here on earth we as as the church's one foundation says we have false brothers in our pale. We don't know who they are. God knows. So this plant begins to grow, and all these thorns wrap it around and choke the life out of it, and it's, it's where America is right now because of the cares of this life and riches and pleasures. And then there's that seed that goes down into good soil and it sprouts and brings forth a crop 30, 60, 
fold. That was Josiah. But we have to be reminded, we're not better than Josiah. We're like Josiah. Okay, so I said it. I know I'm over time. I have my reasons. Membership and baptism. New members need a new word. New baptized kids need to listen. So. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. I said it last time. I'm getting old, you know. Can't even remember my wife's name sometimes. Not really. Uh, this, whole, this whole thing is here for the people who are coming back under Cyrus. And they're going home. And they're going to build the temple. And they're going to set up the worship just like Josiah did. And they're going to get it all in order. And he's showing, this is what happened. This could happen to you. Be careful. But push it down to our day. Has application to us as well. And, and the, the place I want to focus is where I focused last week. I want to reemphasize it. Josiah is in covenant relationship with the people of Judah and Israel before God. It's like a couple walks down the aisle and they're standing Jane and John. And they're not married. And they enter into a covenant. And the representative of God on earth says to them, I pronounce you man and wife. By that word, they are now man and wife. Boom. That's what a covenant is. And so Josiah is in covenant with all of these people and he fails them because he doesn't trust God when he's trusted for all these 39 years and in a moment he, he well, we don't know what's going through his mind. And he lost his life, and he's in heaven today, and he was a great king, but he failed his people, and that was it. Peace time was over. Every dad in this room is ahead of the house. We don't live in that kind of culture anymore. We, the word patriarchy is mocked in our country. That's how God set it up. Instead, our country has become a matriarchy. Women rule. Right? Said by a man. <laughs> but every man, in the way God made it, has a wife and has a batch of kids. Marriage is made to have kids. There's a lot of other purposes for marriage too, but it's made to have kids. And the reason we have these kids is for the sake of the kingdom to grow it. So we take over this land. And every man can, has to say, okay, I'm responsible for these and I cannot fail them. 
because the promise is bring them up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. Train them up when they're young and when they're old. They won't depart from it. I can't fail them. Josiah just stumbled at the very end costly to the nation. Well, of course, they were going to go into exile, but they went into exile when he was 39 dead instead of, say, 75 dead. Gentlemen, we have a mission, and the mission is to lead our house, and we got to be like Nico, who says, hey, God's hurrying me along. Don't interfere. That's what we need to say. God's hurrying us along. Don't interfere. By the way, that word hurry in the numeric standard is more likely, should be translated terrified. God has terrified me. Don't interfere. I got to get this done. God's after me. And uh, we need to train our children in the ways of the Lord so that when they leave our homes, we can say, thanks be to God, they follow Christ. Remember, I told you, 75% of kids who grew up in the church and go off to college never darken the door of a church again. So, when we think about the Great Commission, Jesus comes up to his disciples and he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go make the nation's disciples. So the, the issue is discipleship, learners. That's what the word disciple means, a learner, someone who learns. And it gives two things, baptizing them and teaching them. Interesting, the word faith is never found there. There are reasons for that. One must think about it. If you're teaching them, of course, you're going to teach about faith. But we can't send our kids out the door at 18, 19, 20, expecting them to survive the onslaught of wickedness and the pull and lure of the world if we have not done our job. And we have to guard ourselves. Remember what Paul says to the elders at Ephesus? Guard yourselves and the whole flock. You've got to watch out for yourselves first, elders, so you don't do what Josiah did and stumble. It cost a great price. We don't want our kids to pay that price. We don't have a culture who gives a hoot about our kids. Oh, they all talk about, oh, the big debt we have that we're going to pass on to our children. It's true, we're going to pass it on, but we just keep making it bigger because we don't care. But Christian parents care. And they say, okay, the number one goal, the number one goal is not what kind of job my kid gets. The number one goal is to bring them up in the training and the discipline of the Lord. I could hold this up, but see, it wouldn't mean anything to you like a Bible, but that's what it is. 
And if our kids don't know the Bible, they won't survive. Stand with me. Join me in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.